Right, my name is Rich, and um, I'm the uh, campus pastor here at CTK Ferndale. We're really glad to have you out. And, and if you're a guest, maybe your first time here, I just hope you know we are really excited that you're here. And our prayer for everybody that's here this morning in our second service is that you would really experience the presence of God and that you'd be encouraged today and just uh, really built up in, in your faith. Um, we are uh, going to dive into a passage of scripture that's found in the book of Luke this morning. But before we do that, I just have a quick question for all of you. And you don't have to answer this out loud. In fact, don't answer out loud because that would just be awkward. But what would you say is your tolerance level for risk? What is your tolerance level for risk? Are you somebody, when it comes to uh, exposing yourself, I mean, that's risk. Risk is basically exposing yourself to danger, to loss, to pain, to hurt, to whatever. Are you somebody that is quick to do that? Or are you someone that's really, really, really hesitant and slow and reluctant to do that? Are you somebody that, that is risk adverse? You know, maybe you're the kind of person that you don't even hop on the freeway. You take all the side roads to get to wherever you want to go because you just are f- afraid of all the fast cars and the traffic. You, you, are, you, you never want to meet anybody new for, because there's a chance they might not like you. If you have an opinion on something that might be confrontational, you just keep all that in. Stay. But you're risk adverse. Or are you somebody that just has no problem, like you're just like, you jump right in. You're, you're the kind of person, someone comes along and says, hey, you want to go jump out of a plane this week and do some skydiving? You're like, you're right there. Uh, you have no problem just barging into any new social situation and meeting just everybody in the room because you're just, you just, you just let it all hang out kind of person. You embrace, you embrace risk. What kind of person are you when it comes to, to risk? We're in a sermon series right now called Scent. And back in week one of this series, we looked at how God doesn't just work in your life um, for your sake and your sake alone. He works in your life for the sake of others also. God comes along. He loves to bless you. He loves to give you joy and salvation and freedom and peace and hope, all these things we sang about this morning. But he doesn't just do that for your sake. He does that for the sake of, of others also. He wants you to share what, you've, what he's done in you with the world around you. Uh, we, he, he draws us in to send us out, send us out to shine and to be intentional about leading people closer to Jesus. And this last Sunday, um, I challenged you um, as you approach this week to approach it as sent ones. So when you show up, students, to your, your middle school or high school to show up as a sent one. When you show up to your college, to show up as a sent one. When you show up to your workplace, to show up as somebody who's just not showing up to, to make another buck, but you're showing up as somebody that is sent. And that, that was the challenge. And for anybody that took that challenge, you probably noticed something. You noticed that living as a sent one requires risk. Requires risk. Which is a problem if, like most people, you live your life doing everything that you can to just insulate yourself and build that big bubble up around yourself, insulate yourself from as much uh, danger, hurt, loss, pain as you possibly can. Now, Jesus was always sending people. There were his original 12 disciples. Sometimes he would send them with a specific job to do, go find a place for them to eat or go, go uh, find a donkey 
Uh, sometimes he would send them to go pray for people. Sometimes he would send them to go feed hungry people. He'd send them off to preach. You read through the four Gospels in the Bible, and he's always sending, 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 sending. Well, there was another time where he sent a different group of people, uh, the 72 people. Um, it was this large group. Jesus was getting ready to visit this, this town. And like Jesus would do is he would send uh, people ahead to kind of get ready. So he has this group of 72 people. And before he's going to show up, he kind of sends them to prepare people's hearts for, for the work that he wants to do. And uh, the Bible records all this, and it records him sending these people off. And it's kind of like Jesus is getting them ready for this job, and he's setting up expectations. It's like G- Jesus is a, an employer, and he's got 72 new employees on the job. And, uh, and he's going over the job description with, with all these, these people. And you know how some job descriptions, maybe you've experienced this in your line of work or in the past, some job descriptions, they kind of set it up uh, in, uh, with, with all the good and with all the, the lovely parts of the job, and they make it look really flowery and awesome and all that, but they kind of leave out the stuff that's not so, so great. You know, maybe most job descriptions actually work that way. Well, Jesus doesn't work like that at all. He is not interested whatsoever in sugarcoating a challenging job. And when he sends us out to do a job, he, he's very upfront with what's involved. And he, he lays out the cost, and he also lays out the reward of, of being in living sin. And so in Luke chapter 10, we read this in verse 1. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Now, a lot of people, when they... they, they uh, they hear language of being sent on mission and going and making disciples of all nations, all this kind of stuff. Sometimes people come along and they'll say, oh, but that was just for the original 12 disciples. Jesus was only talking to those guys. It wasn't something that he was talking to everybody uh, about. Well, this text puts all that thinking to rest. Um, here's this group of 72 others, meaning that they weren't part of the original 12. And Jesus is sending out these people to, to this, this town well, every town that he was about to go. And what's, what's also amazing about these 72 people is that we never find out who they, they are. These are not some, like, superstar celebrity preachers that are going out and, and just preparing the way. They are completely anonymous. And Jesus is about to send them out with just this great power and authority to do amazing things. He's going to send them to heal the sick. He's going to send them to, to preach the kingdom of God. And, and he sends them with all this power and authority, and we never even know their names. And on top of that, we can be pretty much guaranteed that these 72 people probably had the same kind of struggles and challenges and obstacles playing in their minds as they're getting ready to be sent by Jesus. You know, someone's probably going, well, I can't string words together super well. Um, that's probably more of a job for, like, the 12 disciples. You know, they're like the guys. They know how they, they can do this. They've been with Jesus. Maybe somebody else was going, I've made too many mistakes in the past. Why is Jesus sending me out to do this job? Whatever they're thinking, whatever they're feeling, Jesus knows because he's God, and then he sends them anyway. He sends them out. Ordinary people with ordinary hang-ups. And, and I love how this, this whole sending these 72 is just another reminder for us how, how the kingdom of God 
doesn't advance primarily through people that have the label pastor or evangelist or missionary attached to their name. The, the kingdom of God primarily advances through, through men and women who are simply ready and willing to say, Jesus, I will go where you ask me to go. I will live a sent life all for your glory and for your kingdom. And they believe, they believe that God will do extraordinary things through them. So Jesus comes along, he appoints the 72, and then he sends them in pairs saying, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his field, into his harvest field. Now, it's, it's harvest time right now. Does anybody here have fruit trees in the, the yard? The branches are just like bowing over because they've got so much stuff on them. You know, it's harvest time. And what harvest time means is that you, if you have fruit trees or vegetables out in the yard, it means you, you need to get that stuff in pronto. Because if you don't get it in right away, what's going to happen is the birds are going to come along and they're going to eat that ripe fruit or it's just going to fall on the ground and it's going to rot. And so it's harvest time. And with harvest time, that means there's an urgency to, to bring all the harvest in. And what Jesus is wanting us to see in these verses is that there are people in our lives who are ready to respond to the light that's in us, to Jesus inside of us. Think about that for a second. There are people in your life who are ready to respond to Jesus. It could be an aunt. It could be a soccer parent on the sideline. It could be a, a parent. It could be that person that you work with all the time, but you've never even talked to them. There are people in your life who are ready to respond. They are looking. They are searching. Jesus says the harvest the harvest is plentiful. Other translations of the Bible say the harvest is ripe. It's ready. It's ready. And, and then Jesus says to these 72, he, he says the harvest is ready. Let's pray for some more workers. The harvest is ready. And then he says to them, hey, I am sending you out like superheroes among normal, ordinary people. No, he doesn't actually say that at all. He's like, it says that in the Bible? He says this. He says, go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Say, what, Jesus? Lambs among wolves? As in, we're the lambs and everybody out there is the, the wolves? Jesus, this whole living sin thing, it just kind of took a, it was sounding pretty good for a little bit there, but now it just kind of took a turn for the worse because I'm not too into being a lamb among wolves. Wolves are big and strong. They have these, these long claws that are designed to tear flesh from bone. They snarl. They make these eerie howling sounds at night with the, the moon out there. They, they, they bark when they get angry, and they just are menacing and all that kind of stuff. Lambs, on the other hand, they're so cute, and they're cuddly, there's no fangs. There's just these little nice teeth for chewing the tender grass. There's no long claws. All they have is these hooves. They're designed to help them not fall over on the rocks. They're just sweet and cuddly. And when these two creatures cross paths, we don't have to, we don't have to guess how that story is going to end, right? You, you, you get this. You get lamb chops every time. Only it doesn't look quite so neat and tidy. And Jesus says that he is sending us out like lambs among wolves. You know, couldn't he at least have said sheep among wolves? You know, because they're, they're a little bit bigger. But no, he says, I am sending you 
like lambs among wolves. Jesus apparently needs to sit down with Tony Robbins or Oprah and, and get some lessons on how to have a, give a motivational speech, right? I mean, this is motivational speech 101. You leave the part about the sheep and the wolves out. That's not how you motivate and rally the troops together. You leave that stuff out. But, but Jesus wants to make it really clear that living as sent ones is risky business. It will require risk. It will require that you are willing to expose yourself to danger, to hurt, to pain, to loss, to bad stuff. There's another spot in Scripture where Jesus sends out not the 72, but he sends out the 12 disciples on a similar mission to this one that he's going to send the 72 on. And the message Bible, it paraphrases Jesus' words like this. He says, don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, giving you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And don't worry about what you'll say or how you'll say it. The right words will be there. The spirit of your father will supply the words. When people realize it is the living God you're representing and, or, or presenting and not some idol they, that makes them feel good, um, they're going to respond with great joy and just like they're going to, what do I need to do to be saved? No, he says they're going to they're turn on you, even people in your own family. There is a great irony here, proclaiming so much love, experiencing so much hate. There is no other way around it. Living as sent ones requires a willingness to risk. Playing safe and living sent do not go together. They don't go together. Author and, and pastor Francis Chan, he talks about how over time, here, here's what happens. Over time, as we get, get, get knocked down in life, as we experience pain, as we experience just hurt and all that kind of stuff, what, what can happen in life is we have a way of becoming, he, he puts it like this, more and more cowardly. Only we would never call it cowardly because there's not a person in the room that doesn't almost cringe at that word cowardly. Uh, we don't call it cowardly. Instead, what we prefer to call it is something that sits a little bit better with our senses. We prefer to call it being responsible. And, and after all, all we reason, I'm just being a good steward of my life because God wouldn't just want me throwing it, it all away. Now, there is definitely wisdom in being a, a good steward and living responsibly, but it is never wise to play it safe with what God's giving you, living in fear, um, and then call it something else instead. I don't know if you remember the parable of the talents, where Jesus has these three guys together, and he dishes out the talents, and there's this one guy that he only gives one talent to, and, and the idea is the guy's supposed to live sent with that. He's supposed to go out, and he's supposed to, to, to make a difference in the world around him, be a light, shine, all that stuff. Well, this guy decides to play it safe. He buries the talent in, in the ground, and he plays it safe. And it didn't end well for this guy. God would have nothing to do with this guy because he, he played it safe, and he wasn't willing to live uh, with risk. Living as sent ones will require you to live with a readiness to courageously go places and say things and do things that might not end up so good for you. Students, when you tell your friends that, that you are Christian or when you try to invite them to come to a United event or something like that, uh, you, you, there's a risk. 
they might turn on you or they might just, it might be a subtle thing, but all of a sudden you might find yourself on the outside of that inner circle that, that you were once a part of. For you that maybe work in a negative environment and you're just, you're hearing all this language about shine and be a blessing and a light in my workplace. And you're going, I'm going to go there in this negative environment with all the complaining and the whining. And I'm just going to be a light. I'm going to shine. There is no guarantee that your workers will not get upset when they see you fighting against the status quo. Others, you know, God might send to to some country to bring the, 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 the kingdom of God and to bring the gospel and there's no telling. You might say yes, and you might go and, and see little to no fruit. I mean, that's happened over and over again with people that have said yes to going places that are just, uh, the gospel's not present. Someone else might decide they're going to step out into an area of leadership or ministry. You know, you're just going to go at, at this, this thing that God's put in your heart. Maybe it's been sitting on the back burner for years, and you're like, I'm going to step in. I'm going to do it. There is no guarantee that people are going to respond to you at all. In fact, people might even flat out reject you. After Jesus gave 70, the 72 of these instructions, he closed off his little motivational talk with some motivational, more motivational words. He says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. And he says this almost like matter-of-factly, like it's going to happen. You're going to be rejected. There's going to be people that don't like the light that's shining in and through you. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Living sin will require uh, risk. And amazingly, you know, after Jesus, so he gets the 72 together, and he, he lays out the job ex- expectations, and he lays out what's going to possibly happen. He, he gives them actually some more instructions that we're not going to get into this morning. But he sends them off, and they all go, every single one of the 72, and they, they, they stare fear, whatever they've got going on, they stare it in the face, and they head off into danger anyways. And, and after what must have been probably several days, the Bible doesn't give us the details, but, but eventually they return. And, and now as they return, just for a second, so after this whole picture has been painted for you this morning of risk and danger and all that could go wrong, um, what, what would you expect? What do you imagine them to be like when they return? Probably maybe tired, maybe that's a word that might come to mind, maybe, maybe gloomy, maybe a little depressed, maybe a little bit beat up. After all, you know, they, they've just gone out into this place of, of great risk. And after all, you know, as the voice in our heads would have us to believe, isn't living sent, shining, being about others, being about helping others get closer to Jesus, isn't all that stuff going to leave me empty and dry? You know, have you ever had that voice when God's called you to do something or, or step out or give up some time or give up some space or give up some, some finances or just give up something that he's giving you, with, giving you. And he says, give it up, live sin. And the voice in your head says, no, that's going to leave you empty. That's going to leave you dry. So don't, don't actually live sin. Won't, going, won't giving this stuff up make my life worse? You know, you'd think the 72 would be hanging their heads, dragging their feet back to Jesus, but that's not how this story goes. Instead, the Bible says the 72 returned with what? The 72 returned with what? They returned with joy. They returned with joy. Initially, so I went on this missions trip uh, here recently. Initially, I was thinking, okay, God, I, this is not a good idea. Uh, 
for multiple reasons. I mean, I had all the excuses. I had, I'm just coming off this, this sabbatical, this time away, and I probably should ease back in a little bit better rather than like a full-on, full blast. Uh, won't, going, on, going on this trip, won't that just like erase all this, the, the restoration, the renewal? I'm just going to come back tr- tired and drained and empty. And besides, got all this, the, the money questions. I don't have, the, I, it just doesn't make sense right now. I can't afford to go on a trip like this. But he was saying, Rich, I want you to go. I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew that God was saying, go. And others on the team, so you've, so you've heard the, the, the initial excuses that we had about why this trip was bad for us. But when we returned, it was with great joy. That little phrase in Luke, um, it could have just as, been, just as easily been used on this mission team. The, the nine returned with great joy. Energy. Vision, excitement, courage, faith, greater love for others, great joy. And so the 72, they returned with joy, and then they looked at Jesus, eyes alive with passion and excitement, and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I mean, this is a party that's going on here. They are celebrating all that, that has happened while they've been off on this little journey. Um, Jesus is like, you guys have no idea the fruit that you have seen, you've seen with your eyes, but I've seen some crazy fruit in the unseen world. The enemy is getting his butt kicked right now while you've been out there doing all this stuff. You know, I can just see him. He's like dishing out high fives, fist bumps, big hugs going around. They're celebrating what God has been up to. And then Jesus continues saying, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Let that sink in for a second. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice more in Jesus and who you are in him than in what you do for him. Because here's the, this is the secret to joy. This is the secret to living courageously. This is the secret to being a person that, that can stare, risk, danger, all that stuff in the face and say, I'll go. It's knowing that regardless of how things go on the other side of risk, you are guaranteed of one thing. In the end, you still have Jesus. And that's a pretty good thing to still have in the end. You see, when you love Jesus with every fiber of your being, when Jesus is truly your everything, risks don't actually seem quite so risky anymore because no matter how things go, good or bad, you still have Jesus. Um, there's this kid's song that I learned a long time ago and, and sang back in the day that oddly enough is finding its way into the modern nightclub scene. I know that's really weird, but I saw a video on Facebook uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, anyways. But it's this song about this, this baby shark. And I'm going to need a microphone. Have you guys heard the baby shark song? All right, okay. For you that haven't heard the baby shark song, is this mic on? The song starts like this. Baby, and don't sing it because that would be awkward, okay? Baby shark, do, 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 do. Baby shark, do, 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 do. Baby shark, do, 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 do. Baby shark. And the next verse goes, uh, mama shark, do, a little bigger. Mama shark, do, 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 do. You kind of get the idea, right? The next verse is daddy shark, do, really big, right? And the next verse is grandma shark, do, 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 do. Grandma shark, do, do. 
And the next verse uh, goes like this. Going swimming. Do, 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 do. Now all of a sudden there's risk in the picture. Because there's sharks and there's swimming combined together. Um, I don't know if any of you parents have ever tried to take your kids swimming down at Cherry Point or Birch Bay or something like that. And, and I don't, my kids always ask the same question every time. Are there sharks in the water? And you can't really answer that question right because you want to say there's not really sharks in the water, but, but they're kind of in the water because that water is connected to the water that has sharks. And so you, you, you can't lie and say there's no sharks in the ocean because there is sharks in the ocean. So you, you, you try to explain to them about the territory and sharks are down in that area. And you can see your kid looking at you with this look like, I don't, I'm not swimming in the water. No thanks. But going swimming, do-do, do-do-do-do. Then the next verse goes, shark attack, do-do-do-do-do-do. And then it's, got my leg, do-do-do-do. And the kids start hopping like this, got my leg, do-do-do-do-do-do. Then it's CPR, do-do-do-do-do-do. And then the next verse goes, go and slows right. It gets faster and faster and faster. Then it just all slows down. Going to heaven, do-do-do-do-do-do. Going to heaven, do-do. And you would think, okay, that's a really morbid song to be singing with kids. Did you guys know that full version or just like the first part? Okay, that's like the full version. Well, there's actually one more line. Because the last line is actually the line that all the kids ever sang the song for. Because the last line, all of a sudden, this is what the kids were supposed to do. Hands were supposed to be in the air, waving their hands in the air, jumping all over the place, singing party with Jesus. Party with Jesus. A silly Somewhat ridiculous song, right? That has some important truth. No matter how things go in this life, good or bad, for the one who has Jesus, in the end we win. Every single time. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you would die. You would die and then go to heaven where you'll spend all of eternity in a place of endless joy, perfect love, uninterrupted, uninterrupted peace, seeing Jesus face to face. Now, does that sound a little bit out there? You're going, man, Rich, that's just like way, <laughs> I'm not even close to being in that place. Is that out there or what? Well, it actually wasn't for a man in the Bible named Paul. He understood the inherent risks of living sin. And on one occasion, uh, his living sin and his going, wherever it was that Jesus wanted him to go, his living sin actually landed him in a prison cell, awaiting who knows what, a Roman Colosseum, Maybe he would get whipped on the back again like he had already had happen countless times. Maybe he would just rot in this prison cell. He had no idea how this thing was going to end. And then from his prison cell, listen to what he writes. This isn't going to be on your screen, but listen to what he, he writes. He says in Philippians 1, he says, Now I want you to know, he's writing to the church, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare, there's a risk word right there, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I eagerly expect and hope that I will get in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. There's another risk word. I'll have courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this line that most of you have heard at some point. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. He understood that living sin 
It required courage. It required daring. But in the end, it didn't matter what happened on the other side of being exposed to danger. What mattered is that the gospel was going forth and that even if the risk ended in death, I mean, if you think of all the bad ways it could end, Paul's going, that's not bad. It's actually a win. It's gain because he'd have Christ. Why not? Why not take more risks? Why, why not step out and, and disciple that person that God has put on your heart? You know, why not reach out to that neighbor that, that lives across the street? You know, why not? You, you come here every week and you've got that, that family that sits beside you or that, that, that person and, and you've just been thinking about them every time you're here. Why not step out and take a risk after service and have a conversation and set up a dinner or something like that? Why not take more risks? Why not sell the house and move to some foreign country to serve the poor and the broken? Students, why not take a risk and invite your friends to, to United to be a part of this crazy thing that God is doing? Or even further, why not share what God is, is doing in your life? You know, I don't know about you, but, but I say that we crush this idol of safety and security that we hang so tightly to in our culture, and instead we choose to hold tightly to Jesus, embracing this lifestyle of risk and and courageous living, not for our sake, but for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of his kingdom. Is anybody with me on that? I say we push against this idea of security. You know what, that, that idea, this notion of security is actually a complete myth anyways. It's a total myth. Every time you hop in your vehicle and you get on the, the I-5, there is a chance that you're going to blow a tire and go careening off the, the highway or someone's going to sideswipe you. Every time you buy a house, you put some money down on an investment, you, you're risking that the economy is going to collapse and you're going to be up the creek without a paddle. Every time you open up your heart to love somebody, to meet somebody, to talk to somebody, you are risking. You are risking that they are going to reject you, that they're not going to like you, that they're going to hurt you. You are risking. There is no such thing as complete safety and security. Risk is everywhere. You can't escape it. So why not take more risks for the kingdom of God? Why, why take all of our risks and stuff that doesn't really in the end matter? Why not take more risks? for the kingdom of God, and for the name of Christ. You know, we're sons and daughters of the most powerful, loving being in the entire universe. Being scared seems a little bit weird, doesn't it? We're sons and daughters of the king of kings, maker of heaven and earth. You know, instead, let's, let's not live with fear. Let's not live with this, like, when, when fear is present, we just we, we back off. Let's be people that that live like children of God, that live like children of the King of kings, the maker of heaven and earth, and we live with faith, we live with courage, we press through the voices that try to keep us back, and we go, okay, God, you're with me. I'm going to go where it is that you're, you're sending me to go. Would you pray with me this morning, Heavenly Father? Lord, I, I, God, I, I would be probably the first to admit this morning that, Jesus, there's far too many times that I let fear Lord, I let uncertainty, Lord, I let the danger of, of how people might respond to me, God, I let that stop me 
from living scent, from going where it is that you're asking me to go, from shining in a way that you're asking me to shine. And, and, and God, we so often buy into this, this thinking, God, that just permeates our culture, that there's, there exists somewhere out there this, this imaginary land of safety and security. God, that's just not true. And, and God, you're calling us into this place that is going to require us to live with even more courage, more of us a daring spirit than we already do. God, you're calling us to a place where we're going out like lambs among the wolves. But Jesus, I just want to thank you that, that, Lord, you don't call us there and send us there. I'm God on our own. God, you go there with us, and you, and you send us there with the promise and with the hope that, Jesus, we have you. No matter how things go, we have you. For to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. So, Father, I pray that, that you would help us to, God, to hold tightly to you, to embrace you, to love you more than anything, anyone else, to love you more than safety, to love you more than security, and to courageously step into the places, God, that you're calling us to go. Help us do this, I pray. In your name, in your name, amen.